0: Is your travel radio podcast dedicated to connecting you, the traveler, to travel professionals? You will hear from authors, destination specialists, linguists, CEOs, and travel advisors that can turn these experiences into your vacation of a lifetime. Questions, comments, suggestions? Please email info at travelradiopodcast.com. If you like what you are hearing, please leave us a review. Now, Enjoy today's audio
1: journey on the Travel Radio Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to Travel Radio. I just lost what I thought was a great take, so I'm trying it again. Uh, My window is open and it's blowing, the wind is blowing things off the table, so If you hear some papers, go to the floor. That's because it's 74 degrees, partly cloudy, and not that humid. So I am sorry for my friends and family where it's 100 degrees, 99% humidity, and it feels like it's drinking soup. You should have taken me up on my offer to come visit. Although my in-laws did, they are here, and I'm very thankful for that, and I hope that they're having a little bit of a break from the weather in South Carolina right now. Uh, to move on to relevant topics to today's episode, uh, today is Catherine Parker Magyar, and she is a travel writer for Forbes, Architectural Digest. Her bylines include Britain Co, and she just really puts. Um, I don't know when you read her writing, it feels like you get an authentic. It feels like you are with her in her travels. It's it's not like reading. I feel like some travel journalism is like reading um, a Wikipedia entry where it's just very factual. Hers have, you can tell her personality, and you'll be able to hear in this interview, um, I hope she doesn't mind, Catherine, I apologize if you get offended by this, but I kind of assigned her a spirit animal, and I likened her to just a youthful puppy in a full body wag that's super excited to talk about travel. Like, hey, you like travel? I like travel. Let's talk travel. And that is what it's like to interview Catherine Parker Magyar. So that's exciting to me. Uh, You'll enjoy it. Just uh, keep on listening. It is long, but it's worth it. So it might be like a three dog walker this episode or like three commutes to work, but um, worth listening to the whole thing. She's wonderful. In uh, some business of housekeeping, we did notify the winner of the Cozy Phones um, contest that we did for uh, signing up for the newsletter, and I'm hoping that lady gets back soon so that I can announce her name. Um, and if that doesn't work out, we'll get we'll pick somebody else. And then I have an additional product from Cozy Phones to review, which I really enjoy um, because I, I mean they're good products, and mostly for me, a product makes me happy when it solves my problems. And I wasn't going to open it because I was going to do this full you know, very professional opening of the package with the new product. Like I had a problem yesterday. I opened this thing up and used it, solved problems. So I'll do like some real life application with that coming up. Um, and then I want to also apologize for not putting out episodes super regularly this summer because it is summer break with my kids and it's important for us to spend time together. And for them to spend time with my husband and for us to be able to spend time with our family. Um, And then I also had clients traveling, a very large family with a lot of moving parts. So um, I just, you know, when I have clients traveling, I try to be really attentive to them and I just, I needed to get that done. So come September when the kids are back in school, I will put out loads of episodes with great content and um, you'll enjoy them. Lastly, let me talk about Joe Sannock. I did an interview with Joe Sannock and it was called Aha! Wild Child Travel Planning. And that was for, well, he's a licensed therapist, counselor, and he has a podcast of his own called Practice of the Practice. And there is a link to it in the show notes. And it's for mental health practitioners to operate their own private practice better, or to pick up some tips and tricks on you know how to how to counsel and things like that. So he posted the episode as a reverse uh, interview on his website this weekend, um, and it's been really doing fantastic. So I just wanted to say thank you to Joe. If you want to listen to the episode to help possibly help you plan travel with your kids better, um, then that's a great resource, and it is in the show notes. Uh, you, you can find that in the bottom of the of the episode page, or also just from the homepage, you can find it. Uh, lastly, I do have a number of podcasts lined up for the fall, and if you have any suggestions, comments, things you're looking for, feel free to reach out to me on email. It is info at travelradiopodcast.com, uh, and if any of those that I have recorded are actually ones that you want to hear, I'll just reprioritize the order of them. Or if you're looking for me to hunt something down, I do know a lot of people in the travel industry and might be able to uh, answer some questions for you or get somebody on the podcast to answer them for you. And I guess that's the last of my updates. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of New Destinations for the Experienced Traveler with Catherine Parker Magyar. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Travel Radio. I am your host Megan Chapa, and I am privileged today to have Catherine Parker Magyar on the program with me. So, welcome, Catherine. Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
2: Yeah, this is great. Will you take a minute to introduce yourself? Yes. Yeah, so, um, my name is Catherine Parker Magyar. I'm based in New York City. I'm a travel writer. Um, I also write about. Culture and literature, et cetera, too, but um, I've really been focusing on travel the past few years. Um, Been to all 50 states, like, nearly 50. I think I might be at 50 countries Mm. at the end of the month. But um, I really focus on, like, culture. Um, Culturally immersive travel is really important, now, like, it's something that really appeals as well as Instagram opportunities, but mm. we can move past that for, <laughs> like, why people want to travel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, getting a sense of the history of a place and, you know, I think travel really is other people. So, in my travels, I always, I mean, thankfully, I, like, I'm pretty talkative, but so I always try to make friends and sort of, you know, get, a, get people's stories and how it ends, um, Oh, just sort of how people live day in, day out, and like where you should go. And I also love nature, so focusing on destinations around the world that are more remote or, you know, sort of like the last true wilderness in different continents. And um, also adventure, travel, like, I don't know, like bungee jumping, husky sledding, safaris, mm. um, any sort of. I feel like those kind of experiences are really perfect to write about because they tend to be they can be sort of unique to the region. Mm -hmm. But also Mm -hmm. as a traveler, I feel like they're a good way to sort of organize your trip because you know you're going to be fully present where you are. Like if you're in the Arctic Circle and like I don't know, like sledding behind a reindeer, like you're not (laughs) really going to be scrolling through your phone.
1: So you know
2: (laughs) those kind of experiences I really like to focus on. Um, Yeah, and if you're bungee jumping, that phone's going. Oh my god! I did bungee jumping in Japan, and I did not really understand what they were, the instructions at all in Japanese. This is when I was younger. <laughs> and you I jumped in anyway. Yeah, I jumped anyway. But I was like, if I'm going to die at the age of 16, Osaka is like not a bad way to go. But I lived. <laughs> but I'm actually writing about it now, and everyone always really like laments of social media is like ruining the world. But I actually find that you know, in my industry, and like I do make friends and sort of far flung. Parts of the globe, and social media really allows me to feel connected to everyone I've met still, like via Facebook and Instagram and you know if I, if I had had a Facebook when I visited um, Japan and stayed with these host families, mm-hmm. I think I would still be in touch with them because we would have become Facebook friends and I think people sort of underestimate how much of a tool that is for keeping in touch with people because mm-hmm. particularly like you change your email or you know you, you can file your business cards, but like say something happens to your contacts it's harder to like maintain an open dialogue and sort of keep up with people yeah. um, on your, if you have to be, I mean, I have friends in China that I email with almost every other week because they don't have Facebook or Instagram and it is, Ugh. and it's harder, yeah. you know? So, so this yeah, is interesting
0: because <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. I mean, first off, I mean, there are some downsides to social media, right? Like I don't want my kids pictures out there, but they get out there. So there you go. But mm-hmm. at the same time, Technology is so good that, we you know, we're living in the UK for a little while, but my kids have a relationship with their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and cousins because technology is so good. So, yeah, it's making the world smaller, and there are some good things about that. Um, it is. Yeah, but... And it
2: gives voice to a lot of people who are disenfranchised. You know, there's... I mean, obviously, there's also, like facebook tampering with the election which is not so good but you know on the flip side of that there it does connect people it does connect people around the world i think i'm personally responsible for about 10 new instagram accounts in the caribbean because i (laughs) because you know people are on facebook i'm like you got to make an instagram i was like if you're looking at sunsets like this every single day you know (laughs) and it's and it's nice because then people can sort of keep up with your travels and for me it's fun because I do have like a pretty international um, you know I have like international followers from like that I follow back from around the world and seeing you know people in China are really obsessed with what's going on in Finland or I don't know I have friends in Kenya who are really interested in what was happening in Morocco so just as a travel writer it's interesting to see how different destinations like speak to different different people and there are definitely like geographical trends for you know popularity with with different countries. I know we'll talk about that later, but, you know, some places are just not as popular yet with Americans as they are with like Europeans or Asian um, travelers. So it's interesting.
0: Yeah. I just signed up for the world travel market in Mm -hmm. London and to look at their lineup, um, it's, it's interesting because it, it talks about, you know, where is the millennial uh, person from China going? Where is the millennial from, you know, this region going, Mm -hmm. which are just not places that the U.S. millennial is going. Um, no, and
2: Finland was a place that was a total revelation for me. In that, maybe we're jumping ahead. So that's I all mentioned right. That yet, um, but yeah, I was in the Finnish Lapland. So we, I flew into Helsinki, which was really cool. Um, but the, you know, the trip was really centered around um, Arctic luxury, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I mean, I like, I love like Nordic style. Just mm-hmm. sort of, it's sort of streamlined and like very like elegant. But then. I mean, it is absolutely amazing, um, Lapland, because you can drive for hours and hours and hours, and you're going to see trees and snow, trees and snow. Yeah. And it's almost, it reminded me of um, of being in Kenya in the Masai Mara, that sort of vast openness, and you feel like you're, you know, you, you get a sense of your own place in the world, you know, where it's, I don't, you, I don't when I'm surrounded by that kind of, like, I think it's like less I think it's like the expanse, it's like the utter expanse of nature and like it's so untouched and it's, you know, they have fells, it seems Scotland, like carved out by the ice age, which aren't as dramatic as the Alps, mm. but you know, I think it's a sense of scale. And we went to Santa Claus's Village, Santa Claus is Finnish, FYI, people okay. are extremely <laughs> proud of this fact, and we saw like where the most popular, um, Basically, we went to Santa's mailbox, his post office, which was cool. They have, like, a legitimate Christmas countdown. Um, And it was the countries that were visiting. I mean, Russia, obviously, is so close. But it was like, yeah, like Russia, China. I don't even think America, the U.S. wasn't in the top seven or eight. Oh, yeah. And I think Lapland has become popular also because of, I think, Instagram, even though I have my own thoughts on Instagram influencers, which are, like, Sometimes I, I think they're mm. well. Whatever gets people to travel, I think is great. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's some knowledge of Lapland, which obviously like expands across multiple countries, but you know less so about Finland and Finnish Lapland. Even though Lapland and Finland has like you know they're the most um, they're the most offerings for like places to stay, mm. and you know Finland is so. It's not it's not a top destination for Americans yet. There was a Vice article that was so funny talking about this guy on Reddit, you know, was sharing it was like, What's the greatest lie your parents ever told you? And he was like, <laughs> My parents told me that Finland didn't exist and it was invented by the Japanese and Nokia cell phones for deep sea fishing <laughs> routes. And like Helsinki exists, but people who are living in Helsinki like don't realize that they're in Sweden. So, like, that's you really know, funny. I thought that was hilarious. I think most people obviously took it as, like, that's so funny. But, it, like, the fact that that even went viral and now they're, like, subreddits about true believers. And it's, like, <laughs> no, Finland does exist. And it's, like, very – it's beautiful. And, like, there's such a – I feel like every country that you go to can always pick up a sense of, like, the culture. And mainly you can sort of get that from from, like, the – Five of the people, a lot. you know, like you obviously can't summarize one country and be like, "Well, the people are like this," but you can definitely. I think you can pick up on sen- like a sense of humor, mm-hmm. a general shared sense of humor, like you know, by of basically just like the manners and like the societal like customs there. You know, Finnish people tend. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Finnish people are tend to be more reserved.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And this, I this guy told a story. It was like a, a Finnish man says, "I love you." once in his life and that is on his wedding day he says I love you and I will let you know if the situation changes (laughs) obviously I can't speak to marrying a Finnish man but I did ask for dating advice and the advice that I got from two of my Finnish friends was I should barely speak like that you should barely speak yes like say (laughs) like reveal as little as possible about yourself which is probably a reflection of like their opinion on me too no it was hilarious (laughs) I was like, you're right. They're like, it's important to be mysterious. I'm like, I don't know if people are going to think I'm mysterious or boring, but like, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm, okay. So if that's the case, you better hope it's an arranged marriage and that people know you, you know, each of you better than you're allowing it to be revealed on your own. So I know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, So it's really cool. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting because a couple things. One, I met a child today that was terrified of Santa Claus, and he was concerned that Santa was going to break into his house and come into his room because how does he get into these houses? Yeah, so there's that. And then the other thing is that um, my sense of humor, and which I think that I'm pretty sarcastic, but the British have a different dry type of sarcasm. Like, like they give a oh yeah, they give these funny, um, you know, like they'll
2: give a compliment, but it's not a compliment. Yeah, because they're so charming and polite, they can't even when they're insulting you, they're gonna like make you somewhat feel good about yourself for the first five seconds. uh, Well,
0: yes, uh, Yeah. So, uh, or like in Scotland, we were taking a a, a duck tour this summer, uh, and the duck tour guide, the driver, he couldn't come. So, so the guy who owns the company actually came and was driving the boat. And he's, they call him like, I don't know, crazy something or other is his name. Like, uh, and he looks like a Viking. He's got this crazy beard and he didn't make eye contact with anyone. And uh, we thought he was just a guest. We didn't even know he was driving it. And then, so he's just driving and then another guy gets on and he's very witty. And he said that the guy who was supposed to be driving the boat, they said, well, to put it politely, he's a fine bunch of lads. As in, oh my God, you know, like he's got multiple personalities this is what he's trying to say. He's a, he's a fine bunch of lads. He's got a lot of personalities in there. So yeah. So just things like that. And I haven't quite cracked it yet and I'm not quite sure what they think about me. Like even at my church, I'm sure that they pray for me a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh some of are God. probably
2: listening right now. Like guys, prayers accepted. It's cool. <laughs> I was told in Dominica, um, the lady Norma, who I became so close to, she drove me um, around for pretty much a week in Dominica, which... We spent a lot of time together, but on the van, it said it was like for true believers only. And we became really, really close. And she prayed for me. She was like, I'm going to pray for you. She's like, I just hope that you stop your revelry (laughs) and you find God. She's like, but you know, I thank God for bringing, for bringing you to me. I'm like, I love you. Thank you. Pray for me all of the time. That's right. I appreciate that. (laughs) And before a meal, she thanked God for me. I was like, I'm pretty positive. Nobody has ever thanked the Lord for me, (laughs) but I've known for a week. That is really sweet. That's it awesome. was really real. Dominica was another place that Americans really don't go. And a lot of people from Switzerland actually go to Dominica in Germany because of the, I mean, it's amazing, amazingly mountainous. And it's a lot of like, I mean, well, it's Well, hold on. Before okay.
0: we get into that, I want you to brag on yourself for a minute. Tell us some of okay. your bylines. You have a pretty impressive resume. And people should know that you're not some, no, no offense to travel bloggers. <laughs> There's a place for the travel blogger. You have an impressive degree and, uh, you know, your graduation stance and your bylines. Tell us all the brag on yourself. We want to be impressed. Go.
2: Okay. Um, so I was an English major, at Hobart Williams College in upstate New York. And then I'd worked as a reporter, um, as my first job really growing up. I worked in, at the local newspapers. So mm-hmm. I think I started out sending, like, advertising clippings, and then my first writing assignments were obituaries, <gasps> which were extremely I mean, stressful. Mm,
1: the last a word. For yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like, if you mess this up, you know, there's there's a bereaved audience reading this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just I really credit starting out in newspapers, and I still contribute um, travel features for the recorded newspapers. was really helping me with... You know, I think it's the difference between blogging and travel writing is mm-hmm. um, bloggers don't have edit- don't have editors. You know, so there's less of a. I mean, great bloggers. You know, they they can they're fine without it, but mm-hmm. it's really nice to be able to sort of make sure that everything is fact check and actually like there's more. It, there's more from an ethical perspective. You know, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be less subjective in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Like I've read stories. And sometimes it can be hard to discriminate between what's a blog and what's a publication, Mm -hmm. you know, until sometimes you're halfway through and you're like, wait, I don't even know if this is 100%, like if this is a reliable narrator. But, yeah, starting out in um, newspapers, you know, really taught me deadlines, which... You know, I think every writer hates deadlines, (laughs) so I would love to say that I'm perfect at them. I'm, like, try to be. But also, like, what's the hook? What's the first sentence? Why do people want to read this? Mm -hmm. Because I think that with travel writing, unless you've already booked a flight to Ireland, you know, or that's something that's, like, really top of, I'm just choosing Ireland because I did a Dublin city guide. People aren't going to read, you know, your city guide to Dublin unless it's, like, funny or smart or, like, you want to make it interesting for the reader. Yeah, absolutely and engaging and grounded, grounded in some sort of like shared experience. I don't know. So I, um, yeah, I well, started there's out as a reporter. lot of product out there. So you got to make a good product. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, roundups has got a really bad rap because sometimes it can be like, here are the 10 most undiscovered islands. And then it's like one, you know, Dominica, you know, two South Caicos, but then, you know, when roundups are done well, it can be, like, more engaging, there's more of, like, a deep dive into each place, or, for me, I'm always interested in, like, the history of, particularly in the Caribbean, because history is so, it's so interesting and, like, very inspiring to, like, I think now is a really important time to visit that part of the world, not only because, you know, tourism is, like, really appreciated, because it's oftentimes, it's, like, in Turks and Caicos, it's like, you know, our only export is happiness. Yeah. So, you know, the, the economies are, are reliant upon it, but also because a lot of museums and heritage centers are opening up in different places in the Caribbean now um, because, you know, a lot of the history of um, of the people there wasn't really recorded. So when I was in um, when I was in Dominica, I was there for the grand opening of the Calinago Heritage Center, mm. um, and there are the indigenous people of Dominica, and you know they, um, also known as like Caribs, and they existed like these people existed all over the Caribbean. But in like 1503, Spain passed this edict that. If you captured a Carib, like they could be your slaves, essentially, mm, and mm. they were wiped out of the smaller, flatter islands. But in Dominica, because it's so mountainous, you know, they survived. They persevered, and you know, there's a lot of Dominican pride. You know, when I was there, like this speech that was given by um, the chief was, you know, like we survived the we survived the conquistadors, we survived hurricanes, and you know, I was there, and that was the first. That was the yeah, it was the grand opening of this amazing museum, and. I mean, there are just so many initiatives now for people to share their culture. That's like, you know, spearheaded by the people and by the governments. Like in the Bahamas, and this exists elsewhere in the Caribbean. But it's called people-to-people people experience, where like, sure. I went to a Bahamian family on my first night. Like they hosted me for dinner, you oh. know, and it was amazing because it was like there, it was like friends too, and like, I don't know, Bahamian culture is so so cool and they're like you know we want people to know that there's more to the bahamas than like senior frogs or cruises sure and i think that's like a honestly like quite racist way of looking at the caribbean it's like oh like if i'm going to go for culture i have to go to europe like and that's not true like there's culture in the caribbean there's culture in why there's culture there's culture in these places that you're looking at as resort vacations you're just not you're choosing either choosing not to engage with it you know because you're not leaving the resort or also it's also, it can be a more complicated history where you sort of have to, you know, you have to sort of grapple with the fact that slavery did exist. And like, it's more, it's more of a disservice to everyone if you don't, if you mm. don't ask questions, if you don't want to learn. So there's some,
0: sorry, let me just, uh, mm. let me just break in here one second and say there, I mean, this is a problem with bad journalism, right? This is a problem where yeah. we tell people you leave the resort in Mexico and you're going to die. You're going to get shot. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, I mean, in the same way that you should read a reputable and do some research on whose travel products you're reading. Um, I, we often have on this program and by we, I mean me, um, mm-hmm. I just, <laughs> we is feels like I'm doing it with somebody. So, I, <laughs> oh, that came out real bad. Okay. Anyway. Um, I yeah, hope you got some chuckles there folks. Um, if, on the same note where, you know, you're reading, you need to read reputable, incredible travel journalism. There are people and that professionals that plan trips to destinations. I host a lot of them that are specialists and have, you know, lived or been to these regions or taken the travel um, courses run by their boards of tourism uh, on what they want to show you and where, who the reputable, reputable suppliers are and, you know, what what you should look for as a scam because anybody can put up a website, anybody can put up a blog. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's anyway, so all all that to say, in the same way that as a listener or a consumer, you should be reading good journalism. It's fun to plan travel, but know what you're consuming. Because, you know, I think if you can score a home cooked meal in any any destination that you're visiting you're take, you are like ingesting, taking into your body a piece of the culture that you wouldn't get mm-hmm. if you just went to a restaurant. And there are options for those every place you go. And some families like, um, like in Puglia, Italy, there's, you know, all these farm stays where you can go and stay with a family and, and learn their family recipes and those sort of things. Um, but you might not get that if you just, you know, kind of stay at a resort, you know, book it on your yeah. own. Like, and and it, travel planning is fun. If there's no problem to plan it on your own. But if it you're is. concerned with safety, find a professional. So,
2: And, you know, I have i don't know. The New York Times travel writer last year who went to like 52 places, I think, mm-hmm. um, in a single year, she, in her like sort of final article of sort of a reflection of the year, she was like, people always ask me what I learned, you know, and I tell them, you know, people are fundamentally good around the world. And mm-hmm. I really believe that. And I have found that 100% everywhere i've been and like just going back to sort of people oh it's dangerous like i don't know i i published a story on mexico this summer and it's funny because it, it got picked up on various news outlets and then i looked at some of the comments and it's like yeah if you want to get stabbed it's like mexico is a humongous country humongous like, the and, border yeah, and so, from like yeah.
0: tulum or cancun is like a 33-hour drive that's coast to coast in the united states
2: I know. And, like, it was just, I mean, the lack of information. And then Dominica, actually, is funny. I was Googling it, and I was reading this blog. And this is when I was saying, you know, I've read things, and I've been like, wait, this isn't very, I don't know, reputable. But so she's this writer, and it was one of the first things to pop up because it's so SEO-optimized travel is. Um, And she's talking about how she felt sick, and then she goes into this whole thing about how she got burglarized, and the whole place was so unsafe. And like that was mm. a bad personal experience, mm-hmm. but like Dominica is extremely safe. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like, it's like it's annoying that like one person's bad experience or like one bad blog post can just get pushed push to the top. And then, you know, it's like people, I don't know. It, there can be a lot of misconceptions. Like I was giving a speech or just like this conference on like how to be a travel writer to like the um the College Media Journal Association, oh, cool. which was really interesting. And, you know, one of the, you know, first things I really talked about is like, do you like people? Like, do you, when you travel, because you can travel like a travel writer without being a travel writer, which like I've realized I've been doing since starting this job, I was like, you know going on assignments to different countries. and like, I was doing this even when I was vacationing. Like, do you like to talk to people? Do you yeah. know, do you have... And also, I think there are ways that you can be more approachable or, like, that you can get people to let their guard down with you, which mm-hmm. I mainly, like, it's very British, but, like, be self-deprecating. Yeah. You know, like, be kind. Yeah. Be, be, be curious. Don't ask questions so that you sound smart. Ask right. questions that you genuinely want to know the answers to. And oftentimes, like... You know, if you want to, like, have a real conversation with someone, I think it's, like, this airplane effect where you'll tell a complete stranger (laughs) truths about your life that you won't tell someone you've known for years. You know, talk to someone about, like, love, death, heartbreak. That sounds really stressful, but, you know, those are the things that everyone connects on. It doesn't matter, you know, if you grew up in Nanyuki in Kenya or New York City, like, you've probably been dumped at one point. And I Uh. guarantee that, like, that's something that people can connect on. And, you know, just finding ways to finding ways to get stories that, I don't know, I find that the best things, the best information I always get, it's never, like, a formal interview. It's always, like, spending time with people Mm -hmm. talking and then, you know. um, But I guess I never gave you my qualifications. I realized I'm a really bad (laughs) interview. Um, But, yeah, so then I went to grad school at the new school, and that was super helpful. Like, I, I taught every, like, aspiring writers, you know, Writing is hard because everyone's, a lot of people think that they're good at it. You know what I mean? A lot of people want to be a writer and it's sort of hard to like get the confidence to sort of pursue it mainly as a career, mm-hmm. which is, it's hard, you know, it's hard finance. It can be, a, it can be a difficult career to pursue, but for me going to grad school and being around professionals like in New York City who were like, you are a good writer, you know, and That's like affirming. also being around like fellow fellow, you know, like, I don't know, my class is actually my degree. I took a lot of philosophy classes, which I was like, this is irrelevant. Like it wasn't at all. Uh And, you know, being like, oh, I'm a philosopher of Greek antiquity. And I'd be like, okay, if you're like a philosopher of Greek antiquity, I can be a writer. I can, I can do that. (laughs) And yeah. So then I Uh like, but my degree, like my, I don't know, my academic background isn't like really in creative writing or journalism. It's really in like literary criticism. Like, you know, my, my Um, thesis in college was like suicidal versus non-suicidal like American poets and the death drive and then in grad school I like well I actually like wrote a book but I'm still working on that but I think having like being able to read having I find I found that like it's I think it's very important to being a good writer it's like having a good understanding of like English literary history just literary history, like, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, that formal training is really good, and particularly with, like, you know, literary, literary criticism, I'd be writing something about, I don't know. I like, Irish, I, I'm obsessed with, like, Irish literature, but I was doing something on, like, Yeats and Seamus Haney and, you know, it, you have to be really grounded in fact with that. You have to, you know, you're speaking to, like, an educated, you're writing for an educated audience, so the writing has to be at that level. Mm-hmm. And I found that a lot of the skills that I learned as an English major and as like, you know, a master's in literature, like really have helped me just in my, in my day to day work as a travel writer, because you sort of want to bring in a sense of scale and you want to find a way to make something that maybe isn't appealing to everyone. Find a way to make it appealing to everyone, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, And coming, I mean, gosh, the UK as far as literary homesteads and those sort of things, you, this
2: is the place, and you just got back, correct? Um, so I lived in London when I was in um when I was in college, and I loved it. I studied at Imperial for a semester. Mm-hmm. But I was just, I was just in Dubai, but I have oh, I actually haven't I been back Dublin. to England in forever. Okay. Oh no. Yeah. I actually, I don't know why I keep talking about Dublin because I don't even have travel plans to go to Dublin at this moment. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> I think so. But yeah, so my bylines, like I've um, written for like Architectural Digest, Business Insider, The Week, Insider, Daily Beast, tasting Table, Elite Daily, Pop Sugar, And I'm a contributor for Brit Co. And, um forbes as well um producing travel stories so it's a mix um i got my start at the recorded newspapers which are weekly newspapers in um, northern new jersey which i still write for and like i don't know it's interesting working with different travel clients like people are really excited to be featured in prints and like i do think you know i get more emails sometimes from my travel features where people literally have to go open up their laptop or i guess their smartphones you know which most people do. But, you know, there's a a level of engagement there that's really cool because you're getting more of a broad audience. Like I, for me, I don't, I love a magazine. I love a newspaper. I love a book. There's like a different experience. My husband loves a book. So my husband actually, you guys would get along. He
0: actually is getting his PhD in philosophy from Oxford. So you guys would have tons to talk about. Oh my God. yes, Yeah. But he loves a book. And every time we move, which is every two years, like these books ha- must be carried, and he, you know, he has more books than the last time we moved every time. And so, the deal oh is, God. you can have the books, I will not carry the books. So,
2: <laughs> so no, you- those are really uh, the worst. I have so many books, too. And like now, I just feel like most of my stuff and I keep accumulating things has been like in storage everywhere. And I'm like, mainly what I own are books at this point in life.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, my husband's dreaming of like one of those. So we just came back from Blenheim Palace. I don't know if you've been. We have a membership I there. So. Oh, my gosh. Especially with the 75th anniversary of D-Day coming up. it uh, It's just so powerful. And they just got some of Winston Churchill's original paintings back. And um, it's so interesting because he used to paint under a like a couple pseudo names and the guy had what what's the equivalent of millions of dollars and he would be pumped to have his art accepted to like a little show or to like sell one of his paintings for 30 pounds like he it's it's cool so they have some of them now but um anyway they have the long library which is as it sounds something like you would imagine bell from beauty and the beast like you know she's like zipping down this thing they probably designed it from this library that's my
2: husband's dream right there. And sounds like could be yours too. So. Yes. I love it. They just also, I don't know. I like, I'm also one of those people who when I lend a book, like I want it back. Like yes. I genuinely like feel a connection <laughs> with my, I think I'm partially a hoarder though, which is good. Cause I've given up buying souvenirs from places. I was like this, I'm just going to be the, like an old woman in my and cha- like living with my tchotchkes and like, so funny. I don't know, but I so tried we to switch to artwork. We switched to yes, I do that too. Yes. I actually like street art a lot. It's yes. been really cool.
0: Exactly. So like, you know, so this is so weird and it seems, I don't know, it's 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 eerie to me. We are just planning a trip to to Notre Dame. So uh, Notre oh Dame if you will. So it's, it's a recording today, April 16th. It, it burned yesterday, April 15th. And we were planning a trip with with some friends and I actually aired an episode yesterday on Catholic pilgrimages. And we talked mm-hmm. about Notre Dame and then like, um, it's burning and I'm standing there. And my husband mm-hmm. tells me it's on fire and I'm standing next to a painting of Notre Dame that we bought on the street in Paris. It's just, I mean, indeed, I don't know. I'm getting older and every, like I cry at everything. So it was just very <laughs> emotional, but
2: yeah. Anyway. It's shocking.
0: Yeah. It's really shocking. Artwork is a good way to go folks. That's all I got to say. It is. There you go. There you go. Well, Catherine, let me let me just move us on in the program because we could talk forever about I think everything I think everything. So, I know. And that's all right. So, let's um so let's talk about, you know, do you, I often talk gadgets on the program? Mm-hmm. Is there something you have that you always travel with?
2: So, I feel like I'm very much do as I say, not as I do, because on my last trip I couldn't find this but oh. <laughs> a portable charger. Like not one of the little lipstick sized ones. Like invest in a seventy five dollar like anchor or yeah. I feel bad because I do like mine and I don't I forget who makes who makes mine. But it's like I mean go on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon Prime it. It's really important. Um I was in when I was on Safari. Like, I think, I mean, extremely embarrassing. I, like, was using my cracked iPhone, and it would just keep dying. And then, you know, I forget, some, uh, someone on my trip who, like, does a lot of, like, video was, like, you got to invest in your career. But he lent me his portable charger, and I was, like, thank God. Like, that's really important. Um, and then also, like, obviously, adapters. Again, do as I say, not as I do. I end up just bringing every adapter I mm-hmm. have because I, you never know. Like, never when I was know. in Dubai... Well, Dubai was so luxe, like, I could have been using any sort of charger and they would have had it all hooked up. But, you know, you don't know where you went. You don't know if you're going to have a layover somewhere unexpected and you need that. Yeah. Um, And just, I guess, a tip I would say is always hold on to your boarding pass because, I mean, I'm a travel writer without points. Like, literally, I'm flying so many different airlines and I do find that, like, they make it really difficult for you to redeem your points. I find it's easier with international airlines. Like, I don't know. Turkish Airlines flies everywhere and they're really easy. To work with like british airways to kenya airways but then i don't know a lot of the american airlines i've had a really hard time and what they always ask for is like an e-ticket receipt which maybe you have maybe you don't but keep your boarding pass your physical boarding pass or screenshot it i like will print out my physical one because that's what they're going to ask for photos of and people don't hold on to it because they're like well i was on the flight duh you can tell i was on the flight no like hold on to those things yeah, um, it's so
0: true. I just, I have friends that are coming to the UK and he flies, Oh, I mean, crazy, like crazy amounts of trips and he's, you know, whatever United's highest level is and they couldn't even get an upgrade. And he has like, I don't know, close to a million points. He's like, how is this possible?
2: So. No. It's, yeah. They, I think they make it difficult. I think I'm finally going to get status on Delta. Nice. So. Thank God, honestly, I'm like on a plane every other week, and I've got nothing on nothing. So we'll see. I'm obviously, but like, I'm I'm a travel writer, and I have difficulty claiming points, and I do think there's a whole other world about points and upgrades. And oh, there is. That there are I'm some not podcasts great at. on that too. I mean, they, that, oh my God. there are more yeah. podcasts
0: on traveling on points than there are not anything else.
2: I think so. There you go. And yeah, like my yeah. friend Ramsey is a travel writer, and he he knows everything. I have friends write for the points guy. And like, it's almost like the more I learn, the more I realize how behind I am. And it's almost like disheartening, but like make an account whenever I wish I'd done that. Cause again, it's hard to redeem, but like, if you're staying, you know, Marriott and Hyatt between the two of them, there are so many different hotels that fall under that yep. umbrella. And you can also do airline points for that. So that's not a gadget, but just try to sign up for everything and buy that's a crazy. portable charger.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good tips. Okay. So then, uh, do you have any charities that you work with that you want to talk about? I mean, I saw on your website that you are, well, I'll let you talk about them. looks like two, you have a daughters of,
2: and, and a mall. Am I saying that correctly? Oh, a mall. Yes. Yes. Um, good. I actually should probably put that more prominently on my website because I really believe in it. But so the Amal foundation, um, was started by, um, so, my, I'll just go into how, I, how I'm familiar with this. But my sister, who's the smart, who's way smarter than I am, and like I tell my parents all the time that they should be really relieved that they have one overachieving daughter. <laughs> so, it takes the pressure off me. But she's like getting her doctorate right now in like Middle Eastern studies at MIT. Mm. She was a Fulbright scholar living in Jordan. Mm. But so she lived in Jordan. It's funny because she lived in Paris and then she lived in Jordan. And she liked Jordan better. And she was like all the French. Because you know what? There's such like the hospitality Mm -hmm, in Jordan mm -hmm. is absolutely insane. Like before I went, my sister was like, this is a culture of recognition. Like when you're walking down the street, it's not like in New York, which is like, I mean, I I love New York. Yeah. Yeah. And that's almost a sign of respect. Like there's so many people. But in Jordan, like you make eye contact, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's like, where are you from? It's like, oh, Enrica. And people are like, well, there's just so much like. I don't know, kindness. I understand why she loved it so much. Like, I'm I'm really desperate to go back. But mm. when we were there, we volunteered at, um, Bak- Becca, BACA, B-A, oh my God, parentheses A-Q-A, I believe, do not quote me on that. We'll put it in the show okay, notes. Send it to me, we'll
0: put it in the show notes. Okay,
2: great. <laughs> um, it's for Palestinian refugees. Mm. And it was just so, it was such an amazing experience just to see you know, these kids and who don't have, you know, who don't have a ton compared to, compared to a lot of pe- citizens of the world. Like, you know, refugees are given. I think that I can't, I'm obviously not being very, very eloquent. It was an amazing experience to, like, spend time with these kids. And, like, they had um, pen pals in the U.S. And mm-hmm. it was, like, right after Hurricane Sandy. Okay. So I have to say a lot of New York kids were a little bit of, of hype, like, you know, tall tales. They're like this cab was floating in the streets, blah blah blah. It's like, oh you're from New York, my friends. You know, like my friend Wendy's from New York. Look at this letter she wrote me and just there was just so much excitement and like yeah. it costs so little like to to help these to help these people. And then um you know, afterwards we got lunch with a Palestinian family. Um and our host, who I think was around Biff Sager, my age, Biff is my sister. Hmm. You know, he had us for lunch with his family and my sister was, like, Katie, like, the food's going to be really good, but, like, eat slowly. Like, it's endless. Like, you sit down there, like, eat as much as you love me. And, like, there was, just, there was just so much, like, kindness and, like, they were so welcoming. My dad, I think it was my dad, made the mistake of complimenting a mirror on the wall. And they're like, you must have it. You must have it. And he was like, oh, my God, like, no, like, we can't even take it back. He's like, they're like, we'll ship it to you. Like, you can't, compl- like, there's just, it was just so wonderful and particularly like growing up i grew up outside of new york and new jersey and you know nine after 9-11 you know 9-11 really Mm -hmm. devastated like Mm -hmm. you know a lot of um you know workers in my er area in my area like summit madison morristown and you know just watching homelands and there's just you don't realize you know how pervasive like cultural stereotypes are like prejudice can be so insidious you don't even realize that you have it you know Mm -hmm. because the first time that I was in Jordan I heard the call to prayer it like made me nervous I'm like why is this making me nervous and it's like oh because it signals a terrorist attack on homeland and then like by the end of the trip I found it like calming and you know just just realizing I don't know for me that was like probably the most that and then before I was a professional travel writer I'd say that had the biggest impact on me where I came home and I really wanted to I really wanted to sort of find a way to stay involved with that region of the world or, like, help keep, help refugees in that part of the world. And, you know, like a typical lazy, not even lazy, but I feel like it's very easy to feel helpless or hopeless. Like, you mm-hmm. want to help, you don't know how. Yeah. And I remember the first year, it was like, okay, my sister was like, if you raise $1,000, like, if you do fundraising, like, you know, we can all, you, they can have coats for the winter. Like, it costs oh. nothing. Yeah. And obviously... Do I got my act together? Not fully until my sister's friends, Maya um, Perman and Julie Whitaker, they started this foundation. It's called the Amal Foundation. And so, yeah, that's my long winded answer to the charity I'm involved with. It's your but, episode. You take it where you want it to go. Oh my God. I'm sorry, I'm such a rambler. But so <laughs> no. it's an NGO, and it's founded. I did a couple of stories on it because they're in their 20s. It's founded by 20 something, sort of supporting 20 somethings students in Jordan, living in the Satari refugee camp. So it's it's focusing on Syrian refugees mm-hmm. and it's, um, raising money for them to be able to go to college. Um, oh, awesome. and the universities are within the, are you know, in Jordan, they're within the Middle East. And these are people who are dedicated to sort of rebuilding their communities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lessening like brain drain and also like there are so many worthy applicants and worthy students, like some who literally like were a year, like a year away from finishing their college degree. And then, you know, there isn't, you know, suddenly their opportunities are so limited. And so I, and I have to do one again and actually in a couple months, but so I do these fundraising events in New York um, and $4,000 sends someone to um, to university for a full year. It's nothing. It's nothing. And I think we, we've sent several, um, people to college since. And, you know, it's amazing people, you know, the students are like top of their class. Um, and just hearing the stories of like, like, wait, I don't know. One of the, one of the, um, applicants who, the one of the scholarship recipients, like works with like mental, with mentally challenged kids Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. refugee camp puts on please, like Mm -hmm. teaching people English, like just, you know, just so much. There's such an inspiration and it's such a, it's a great it's a great organization because every dollar goes directly to the scholarships you know there's no overhead for advertising or mm. nobody takes a fee yeah. it's truly just okay like if we hit the 4000 mark if we hit the 4000 mark you know and just and then you get to see you know these people thrive like someone um I think it was, I think it was Muhammad last year, like, made a video, his friends, he and his friend made a video to thank, to thank us for, um, being able to send him to school and it was just so cool and, like, still in touch, still in touch with everyone and, um, you know, it's just, and stuff like that builds relationships between, you know, the U.S. and the Middle East, just, you know, finding a way to show that not everyone is Donald Trump also, like, so I think travel is great, um, in general, but that's why I, I don't know. I'm really passionate about refugees, and I think that anything you know, anything that you can do to support these people who, oftentimes, I don't know. Even when I was doing my first year that I did this, it was before the real outcry um, after like the um, refugee ban. You know, when New York Times posted, you know, like, Anne Frank today is a Syrian girl. And I think there was a lot more of awareness about, you know, these people are innocent victims Mm -hmm. here. Mm. You know, but the first year, like, Venmo held a lot of the payments because it said Syria on it. You know, as if just saying anything Syria-related, you're a terrorist. I mean, that was ridiculous. And then, you know, I had some feedback from feedback. I had some ignorant comments from, like, people that... I formally kind of respected, like, well, why would we help? Why would we help terrorists? Or like, after the after the bus um, bombing, or in New York City, I got some like message, like, oh, look at where your funds are going. Like, it's amazing how pervasive hate is. Hate's very easy, and I think it takes. It's easier. I think it's easier to be unhappy than happy. I think it's easier to hate than to like than to respect or love. And I think that nowadays, when like you know geopolitical climate is like. And I'm sure things have been worse, <laughs> but I think it's more important than ever to like find ways to connect with people. Well, so we're going to put their, on, their
0: yeah. link on, in the show notes. And if people want to participate with that, they can just click right on it, find out more information, contact them, how to get involved, donate money. It'll be right in the show notes. You can just click right on it. So
2: we'll do that. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about not to transition, you know, so quickly. But let's t-
2: no, let's do it. Yeah. so, what was
0: your first travel gig?
2: um i so I just started out freelance writing about like two years ago, um and You're doing I wanted good. to write about yeah, thank you. I wanted to write about travel, but you know, I had sent a story and like story ideas, and they wouldn't necessarily get picked up. I think it's like a pretty tough industry to mm-hmm. break into. I think that um. You know, you can send us, oh, like, I've pitched stories about Scotland. And they're like, okay, like, well, we have someone who's, like, been living on that one, like, mountainside for, like, two years. So we're <laughs> good on that. So I think that this is important to note. Like, I travel writing was, like, my dream job. Like, it still is. It's obviously in reality, like, it's harder than, I don't know. It's it's really fun. But I I thought being, like, a travel writer was, like, I didn't understand how that ever happened to people. You know, like, how mm-hmm. are you going to Costa Rica for work and you're writing sure. about it, you know? Sure. Because, as you can tell, I love to talk and share my opinion on everything. <laughs> so that's sort of like a dream, not only like when I would come back from personal trips, you know, I, I just preach about wherever I've been and I'm so excited. And so to be able to share that enthusiasm and to, to write about things that I'm passionate about um, is really a dream, but it wasn't super accessible at first. So... I just pitched, like, a maniac um, to all these different outlets. Like, I ended up writing a lot about politics and refugees and dating, because those things go hand in hand, Mm -hmm. Um, and (laughs) literature, um, and so every assignment I got, I would get, like, super excited, and that's advice I have, too, is, like, don't wait until you're in the New Yorker to, like, give a damn, because people are going to be reading that, and... I wrote about travel for Hudson Settler, which is this luggage company that, um, a, like, a friend of mine had started, and they had a blog, and they had travel stories, so I, I spent so much time on these travel stories that, you know, weren't really read by mu- by much of anyone, but I actually, someone in the travel industry had read a story I wrote about, like, a date. I went on like an apple picking date, something in elite daily that was like funny. Then they went to my website and they saw, Oh, she has all this travel content. And then I sort of like, I guess I got, got discovered. I don't even know, but that was, I, you know, then I was invited to like some luncheons, and then that led to like my first trip, which was to, to Kauai, which was amazing. And that's where I met more travel editors. So I don't know. I think that published, working hard on whatever assignment you have, not being afraid of rejection, like pitching, mm. you know, it's not personal. If an editor likes your, likes your idea or not, you know, don't let it hold you back. Just yeah. keep going. You don't know what else um, they have going on. It's not personal. You're good. Yeah, no, totally. And Yeah. Just working hard on whatever assignment you get. I, because I, I feel like I almost don't have like good advice for how to get into travel writing. Cause I, I'm happy I did, but like, I didn't I'm, I'm impressed I did. <laughs> it seems, like, really hard. But, yeah, I keep pitching. And a lot of people say to start their own blogs. But my issue, my hesitancy with that is that you have to get an audience for your blog. But, like, if you have an article in, like, I don't know, like, uh, Brit & Co., that's, like, 150 million readers. And mm-hmm. it's going to be sort of blasted everywhere. And, and that being said, then, if you do have a story, like, maybe on travel destinations in Mexico, you know, make sure that you write the hell out of it because a lot of people are going to be reading it. And that's sort of how you get on the radar of, of, um, yeah, like different members of the travel industry. But I would say just like focus on, you don't have to have traveled far to be a travel writer. A lot of people actually prefer it if you write really about what you know, in which case I would be writing a lot of stories about New York and New Jersey, you know, like I've gone to Rhode Island and Wyoming a bunch, but I do think that there's a value to writing an insider's guide and a value to writing actually like, cause it's hard for me as a resident of New York city to know, ex- I know where I think you should go, but also like someone who's coming from Singapore has play have places that they want to see. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I think yeah. that there's value to, to write, to write about how to travel as a traveler. Um, and I think that like as a travel writer, I always try to come away with multiple angles. So I've been talking, I'm, trying to plan out this trip to Buenos Aires and I want to do, you know, I want to spend some part of my trip, like really hitting off like the key highlights of places you have Mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. And then another part of the trip writing about this sort of like, we're talking about like which sort of neighborhood I should focus on. That's really unknown. So you get multiple different types of angles. Gotcha.
0: So you've traveled to
2: all 50 States, which state Mm -hmm. has your heart? Wyoming. Um, I, So growing up, like we really did, we did cross country trips, like my whole family, my mom, my dad, they've, they've both been to more states like countries than I have. I think my mom's in her in the seventies or something. That's pretty good. But, um, yeah, I don't, yeah. 70s, 60s. My dad's in the sixties. He needs to keep up. You
0: guys should get those like scratch off maps and have a competition.
2: We did. We do. (laughs) It's like very serious. We connected, we collected like national park training cards. Like I'm the only kid though. Who's been to all fifty states? Which is, you know, there are four of us because yeah. I'm the only one who has Hawaii and Alaska because oh, I nice. went with my mom on a press trip actually, oh, that's which was really cool. fun because she was president of like the National Newspaper Association, so she would have trips that you know would be sort of around the world, around the country, and she would take us. But back to Wyoming, we <laughs> I didn't think there's nothing like Jackson Hole. Like I don't know, there's really it's so. It's astoundingly beautiful, and it's because the Grand Tetons are like the teenagers of the Rockies, so they're not as, like, rounded over as, you know, no offense, to Col- I and mean, Colorado is amazing, but just on a sheer, <laughs> just take your breath away. Um, I have and never I think it's awesome. heard them yeah. called the teenagers of the Rockies before, because
0: yeah. we just moved from Colorado, so I am super familiar with those mountains, but that is... <laughs> I
2: really like that description. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, you should. I think my mom told me that. But, like, yeah, I think the reason it's my favorite state is, like, really linked to my mom. Mm. Um, because, like, the Teton Pass, like, cause you, I mean, like, travelers tip, like, don't fly into Jackson Hole. It's super expensive. But, like, if you fly into, like, Salt Lake City or, mm-hmm. I don't know, Denver, or if you're, like, my family and you're insane and you just want to drive from New Jersey, go for it. But, you know, you we'd have be, like, to okay. Go through Kansas, though. mm I I love Kansas though. Oh we my were chasing gosh. Tor- we chased tornadoes there once. Okay. Is, <laughs> I like everywhere, <laughs> truly. I'm like very easy to please. But I've never um, I do think there's something there. dramatic about that sky, mm. that heartland sky. You know. It is I don't we know. used to
0: live in Oklahoma
2: and the the way the clouds
0: layer up and because the cloud ceiling is so high, it's really interesting. And then when you, cause you know, I'm, we are kind of intimately, uh, familiar with tornadoes in several States. Um, when the tornadoes come through the clouds, they're so much closer to the ground. Like you can almost touch them. It's craziness. Um, yeah. And I was such a tourist hiding in my tornado shelter and the neighbors are out there watching them go by laughing at me in, oh the, my, God. in my hidey hole. But yeah, yeah, I, I hear you about the sky. It's, it's something else.
1: It there. is,
2: and it's, I mean, just driving through, too, like, I know, I keep talking about, oh, it's so vast. I feel like I've said that about a million different, a million different places, but it is, like, the. you know, it's, like, you can look, and for miles, you know, all you see are planes, and I don't know, I was really, I was interested growing up in, like, stories of, like, settlers on the prairie, and, like, mm-hmm. I was really fascinated um, with Native American history mm-hmm. um, as well, so, you know, the... Kansas, Oklahoma, yes,
1: yeah, so people we who are lived in Native in... American
2: history should read Killers of the Flower Moon
1: oh, <laughs> I I I
2: have. oh my God, it's about Kansas, It's unbelievable. I don't want to give anything away, but okay. it's about pretty much like it was called like the first underground reservation because there are oil reserves, and you'll see read okay. it okay I'll,
0: I'll, I'll find it. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too, um, okay, good. So the wild thing about the Wild West, if you will, is that it still really is quite wild in the sense that, I mean, we lived in Oklahoma probably in 2009, 10, and 8, no, maybe 8, 2008, and they had just, that, they were celebrating their centennial. They were just turning 100, and we were there for, they reenacted the Chisholm Trail cattle drive, so they, they had been raising these longhorn steer for thirteen years in order to prepare for this event, they drove them from Texas up to Kansas, which is where historically they would put them on trains and ship them east to feed civil war soldiers. So that's somewhere oh, wow. on this. And so like we would, so we went and hung out with the cowboys in the in the meadow while they were all their long these longhorn steer were just grazing and they were I mean they were they had no modern conveniences with them. They did everything as authentic as they could. So they had a chuck wagon. It was, it was a wild time, but we watched them do the reenactment of the land claiming. So, you know, like the, you know, you there's a land rush, they shoot off a gun and you have a Conestoga wagon and you're racing as fast as you can to pull a stake out of the ground and the families in this town were the, are still the original families that did the land rush, so they, they still have their oh original God. acreage. Yeah, it's wild, and like you can get the whole history of the town through the Undertakers because they're the grandkids of the original settlers. It's just wild. So anyway, I, I I'm, I'm with you on the Heartland. If you get a chance to go out and go to Wyoming, go to Wyoming, go to Oklahoma. I can't say I'm a fan of Kansas because I've probably driven <laughs> that state end to end like 15 times, and it is a long, flat drive. We like to say you can watch your dog run away for miles. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, but we've also never chased a tornado through it. So if you go during tornado season,
2: have at it. But anyway. Yeah. All right. A lot of people haven't really been. I'm from the East Coast, and it's interesting. Like, I have friends who've been to the Alps who haven't, like, been to... You know Wyoming, Montana, and I feel like that's like that that part of the world. I mean, our na- our natural heritage is like really one of the things that really does actually make America great. And like, particularly mm-hmm. now that you know these national parks are like, oh, like I'm pretty much just like their you know their livelihood, their very existence is threatened by people who, whatever you don't need against politics. It's important. <laughs> it's more, more now than ever <laughs> to support them. So yeah. Oh man. So. Okay,
0: I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go down that tangent. You have to watch Parks and Rec. That's all I have to say. Okay, well, it's on your list. You gotta watch it.
2: <laughs> okay,
0: so we're an hour into recording. Should we get to the topic of today's podcast, and that is new destinations for the experienced traveler. So I am going to just rifle off some destinations, like some regions of the world that Americans typically go to. And then I want you to kind of say, this is where people typically go, and this is my this is what I'm suggesting to you as a new and exciting place that you should go that's a little more off the beaten path, X, Y, Z. Does that sound mm-hmm. good? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, then let's go kind of in order of accessibility from the United States. On our northern border, let's go Canada.
2: Okay. So for Canada, um, I do know I feel like Toronto, Montreal, like the larger cities, can be very popular. Mm-hmm. What's really beautiful there is, the, is Georgian Bay, mm. which is like this collection of like thousands, I think it's almost 3,000 islands, miniature yeah. evergreen islands on these beautiful lakes. And some of the islands like are still like uninhabited. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. And I mm. highly recommend going there. Awesome. All right, let's move south. Mexico. So for Mexico, I think a lot of people are um, – you know, Quintana Roo is very popular, which I mean I think it should be because yes. Cancun brings in a ton of business, and Tulum, you know, has become the chicest influencer spot in the world. But hmm. also for a reason, there's jungle, there's beach, it's gorgeous. Um, if you want something similar to Tulum, I would say to go to Belize, okay. which is used to be the former site of like the former Mayan capital, and I mean I'm fascinated by Mayan history and heritage, and um, It sort of has a similar vibe to what Tulum, I would say Ambergris K, Ambergris K, San Pedro has like a similar vibe to what Tulum was like 10 years ago where it's less developed. There's this, um, place called Paradise Beach. Mm. And if you go to secret, it's called secret Paradise Beach, I believe. Very descriptive. If you go to secret Paradise Beach bar, like, and you take out a jet ski, you know, you can just, you know, you could be on the water for, seemingly forever. And it's just like such open wilderness. Like there's so many beautiful birds, like the wildlife there is insane. They have jaguars everywhere. Mm. Um, and then in Mexico, I'd say Guadalajara. Um, I feel like, and tequila, Mexico, like who knew agave plants? It's very beautiful. Mm. So I think that's cool. There's all this focus now on also tequila tasting, which I'm all here for, you know, why limit it to wine? That's right. Yeah, and then I've heard, and I haven't been, I was supposed to go in January, this place Holbox, which is actually not too far from Tulum, I believe, is also, like, really, really gorgeous. So
0: Okay, in Mexico, not Belize? In Mexico, yeah. Okay, yes. just wanted to clarify. Okay, yeah, so yeah. let's go, okay, so we already talked Belize, do we want to do anywhere else
2: in South America? So I'm actually going on, like, to South America for my first time, for the first time in, like, Two weeks. Mm-hmm. I need to get my visa, that reminds me. Two for Brazil. Now. <laughs> I know, I'm stressed about it. But I'm doing this um tour with it's like nature eco tours in the Amazon and mm-hmm. the expedition is like led it's like hundred percent it's really eco friendly, it's mm-hmm. very green, which is important. Mm-hmm. But also goes further into the Rio Negro. Okay. Like part of the Amazon than any other okay. expedition, mm. so that's something that is off the beaten path and I think really cool. But I can obviously look for my story in like two months or a month.
0: All right. Well, if <laughs> we'll you want to talk about it, give me a call. We'll record it. I uh,
2: will.
0: <laughs> All right. So, what about
2: the UK? If we're going east now, um, for the UK, I would say to go to Cardiff in Wales. It's like mm. super, super cool. Very. It's like an. It's like a trendy like really fun city, no shortage, I know we were talking about castles earlier, no shortage of castles, and just, it's like much more, it's much more underrated, I think Wales in general is underrated as, as a destination, and then I'd also say, even though I think it's become way more popular anyway, the Scottish Highlands, um, yeah. I mean, they're just, there's nothing like it, you know, and Edinburgh, I sort of story on Edinburgh, I went with my mom after grad school on like, a mother-daughter trip, and it was just heaven. It was just, like, scotch, cows, plaid, everything. And just, like, it, it almost looks like you've landed on the moon. Like, it, the landscape reminded me of a mixture of, like, Iceland mixed with some Finland, which makes sense geographically. But, like, sure. it is very beautiful. And people are very kind. So
0: People are kind, that. and it was not bombed and they didn't tear, yeah. they didn't tear down their statues and so as you go down what's what you'll come across is the royal mile you'll just notice that there's just statues and monuments to everyone they just kept building they didn't necessarily tear it down so you need some time in edinburgh but um yeah it's it's a, it's busy in the summer because you have the fringe festival and you have uh the royal edinburgh tattoo the military tattoo uh which if you haven't gone, Catherine, it is a thing to behold. We're going there this summer. Um, but, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's wild. Kilts and bagpipes for miles, and then all of the guests performing military uh, performance groups like rifle teams for other militaries around the world. It's it's a wild time, and, uh, and it happens at, it's, it's at Edinburgh Castle. They kind of wall off the entry to the castle, and they put bleachers up. And you have to. I mean, we we got there; it was uh, sold out, and we hadn't planned for it. The kids wouldn't have been able to handle it anyway. But it's on the bucket list for the summer. Uh, it's it's a wild time. Like I think they put like fireworks on these bagpipes, or maybe they're on the rifles. There's a lot of fireworks involved, so it's a good time. Anyway,
2: I just love that
0: for future. Yeah. Okay. okay, so let's talk Europe
2: in general. Okay. Um, so here I would really have to say Finland. And I think that we talked about Finland earlier. Sure. Yep. Didn't we? So I mentioned that. Um, and then also, you know, Amsterdam has is like almost over-tourist at this point, but like Rotterdam and The Hague, mm-hmm. really amazing. to visit. Like it's the 350th, oh my God, I believe it's 350, the 350th year of Rembrandt. Let oh, me see. Wonderful. Let me make sure. And Yes, yeah, so it's the 350th anniversary of his death, and there are all these amazing exhibits around the world. But like, particularly like this year in like the Netherlands. Mm. And as someone who found art history sort of inaccessible yeah. in college, mm-hmm. like I just, it, I, I don't know. I met with, um, I met with people who like work for the Rembrandt Museum, in, and I'm going in a couple weeks to mm. Holland. Cool. And Rembrandt is really an artist for our times. You know, the more money he made, the more he spent. You know, he just, he got criticized because it was like, oh, well, he only paints pictures of himself and naked mistresses, which he did. He like originated the selfie. Someone used to notify Paris Hilton. But, you know, he's just a fascinating character. And I know people are always, I mean, I was like an English major and they're always like, you know, it's not, you know, separate the writer from the right, from the work, separate the artist from the work, but. For me, in terms of like appreciating art, like I do love to know. I want to know about all of Picasso's breakups, and it helps me appreciate his big things. So, you know, Rembrandt, Dutch masters—they're just like us. So yes, visit, visit, Amst- um, visit um, different cities in the Netherlands that a lot of people really just sort of, you know, going to Amsterdam. Excuse me, going to the Netherlands and only going to Amsterdam is sort of like going to America and only going to New York. Yes. Um, so. Definitely more to see there. And then I would say some of the biggest revelations that I discovered um, were in Switzerland, actually. Um, Switzerland, I think, sort of has a, I don't know, I think they have the market on, like, beautiful Alpine villages and cities. I don't know how everything is so clean. Mm. I do know, actually, because there are, like, laws where people have to put up flowers in their windows. So, I mean, as a visitor, it's much appreciated. But Mm. the capital of Switzerland, Bern, was... I think it's super, super underrated. Mm. Like it's this beautiful, beautiful city that has, um, like, they have the Schweizerhof um, in Bern, which is like this like beautiful, grand old hotel. It's walking distance from the train, mm. and the city's walkable. And it's just like they have they have live bears. Like they have like the uh. Baron the barren Park. Um, every there's it's like all based on like this um, history of. Oh my god, I really don't want to summarize this. Someone killed a bear. <laughs> <laughs> like in the, like some like a famous, I think it was like a Duke. And but so as a result, like around the city there are like bear flags everywhere. It's just it's insane. Beautiful watchtowers and it's super underrated. There aren't a lot of I mean, last time I visited, like people don't really add it as much to their list when thinking about Switzerland. I think they should. And then on that note, I guess bad regaz in Switzerland, mm-hmm. which I never heard of. It's home to like it's one of the most It's one of the oldest spas in, like, the entire world. Like, Mm. it's this ancient thermal spring. But people, it's called Tamina Gorge. Mm. People didn't go into it for hundreds of years because, like, they thought there was a dragon living in there. Hmm. And then some crazy guys were like, whatever, like, we'll find out if there's a dragon. And they go in, and instead of a dragon, they find this, like, natural spring water. The Grand Resort Badragaz is, like, one of the most, like, beautiful, gorgeous, Hotels I've ever stayed at my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, and so Roger Federer is always hanging out there. And, like, Martina Ingas, I am I hope I'm saying her name right, Hingis. she got married there a couple years ago. So the Swiss know about it, but I don't think as many, um, I don't think the other travelers do. And it looks like it's, like, near where, like, like where Heidi was literally invented. So you can go mm-hmm. on these bike rides to, like, the various wine regions, going through these medieval villages. It's just, like, Heaven and really, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with like Alps, wine, cheese, spa, like okay. amazing. I'm there.
0: Let's go. Yeah, and
2: Shoot. then I yeah, and then Pontresina, I would say, it's right next to Saint to Saint Moritz. Um, but it's also like I guess I was told like in Switzerland, like the Swiss vacation in Pontresina, and you know. People from other countries vacation in Saint Moritz. I love okay. Saint Moritz too. But mm-hmm. Pontresina is like this beautiful village that's like right next door, and it's home to like the Grand Hotel Kronenhof, which is like accidentally Wes Anderson's Max. Literally, I felt like I was a queen <laughs> for a couple. Switzerland is good at making you feel that way, also because the hospitality there. Like I feel like Swiss five star is different than five star elsewhere because mm-hmm. there's such a premium placed on on service and hospitality and. You know, versus sometimes I feel like if I'm in a really nice hotel in, for example, like New York City sometimes, I find that, like, they communicate their exclusivity by being rude. While in Switzerland, like, it's not. Like, people are really, really kind. Like, and I think that is, you know, that is premium hospitality if you're in a beautiful palace and they're making you feel like home. And then Lausanne also, which is, like... Right, um, which is on Lake Geneva. It's is sort of that near Geneva. I've been saying it wrong. Bozan. Yeah. yeah, I have to apologize for any of my mispronunciations. I oh, no, you're here, probably is. right. I don't know. I'm a writer, but I'm not. Sometimes it's embarrassing when you say things loud and you realize you it wrong in your head. Shoot. I know. <laughs> but it's such a young city. It's like the home of the Olympics. And it's like, Astounding looking, like they have, like I don't know. There's like a harbor with actual swans hanging out. You can take the boat across to France, come mm. back, wine tasting. Um, That's an all yeah, and right day. Yeah, then Budapest. I'd say Budapest is amazing mm. in Hungary, which I think is it's very popular with Brits. It's like the number one Bachelorette bachelor destination. Oh my, one of them. Um, but you know, it's super inexpensive. There's so much culture and history in in Budapest. It's amazing. I mean, just like where it's interesting it's interesting visiting Budapest now because basically these young entrepreneurs looked at these dilapidated buildings that are in the neighborhood the Jewish quarter and before world war II, the Jewish quarter was bustling and then after world war 2 like it was like deserted and i mean the the hungarian history in world war 2 was so devastating um partially also because Unlike Vienna, but like they, people in Budapest really revolted and really tried to fight against the Nazis and then just mm. resulted in like massive, massive deaths for people all across the city. But, mm. you know, you, there's, I don't know, I I think you've been, but do you see the shoes along the Danube in Budapest? Mm. I have like been. these Oh, my god it's it's unbelievable it's such an amazing city but they have like these like children's shoes like a statue of all because they would have to go there to be executed oh my goodness I don't mean to I don't mean to devolve into World War II history here but they turned but it's and then the after year. The this
0: is the year dude yeah. I mean it, it this is, is the 75th anniversary of the d-day an- anniversary so there I mean if you can get someplace that was significant with the, you know oh there's so much history and so many events happening for World War II this year so if you can be somewhere yeah I think it's May twenty. Am I right about that? Um, I think so. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a tw- Okay, I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is the air. No, I mean, that is exactly why we want to go to um, some of these sites in Poland because, I mean, I think it's the Warsaw Uprising. I mean, they were rioting through the sewers and they were sneaking up on Nazis and, like, attacking them and, like, taking their city back and freeing people on And eventually, you know, the Nazis came in and rolled on them and squashed the rebellion. But that sort of fighting spirit, I just, and, you know, oh, I love it. I mean, I don't love the event, but I like, you know, (laughs) the the tenacity of the people and the the conviction. And I, yeah, anyway, yeah.
2: It's important to keep that history alive, too. And even, like, when I was in Vienna, you know, there's, um, I met with, like, different historians and stuff. And they're like, you know, it's like a part of our past. Obviously, I'm not proud of it. horrific, but it's important to like, to remember Mm -hmm. and to acknowledge. And I don't know, but so in, in Budapest, they have these things after the Jewish quarter was sort of evacuated and abandoned under the Soviets. It's, Hungary has been through a lot. Mm -hmm. After the Soviets, it was like left and it just sort of a lot of these buildings and warehouses and storefronts just were crumbling because nobody had been living in them and nobody was maintaining them. So some young, what I would like to, uh, you know, equate to like Williamsburg hipsters, were like, you know what? Let's turn these empty warehouses into like an insane Wes Anderson type bar. Cool. So you walk in, they're called ruin bars, and you walk in, and like, and nothing makes sense, and everything makes sense. Like you'll <laughs> see like a stag head, like I don't know, there are lights everywhere. It's just like, it looks like it looks like a. It, some of them look like old Victorian houses, but like with like bars everywhere. It's just super fun. Like, I think that, I mean, Budapest and like Key West, honestly, for the outdoor <laughs> bar scene, like it's yeah. just, it's really cool. So I would say Budapest too. And then, um,
0: let me just I know, quick I was, say, yeah. um, D Day is actually June 6th. Don't go anywhere be, on May 25th. Nothing will be happening.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually June met with six. the National World War II Museum recently. Um oh. In New Orleans, and heard all about it. And, you know, it's something that people should look at where events are happening around where they live because I feel like it's something that's going to happen globally.
0: hmm I hope so. I really hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, do are we done with Europe?
2: Yes. Okay, let's talk Asia. So, Asia, I would say Xi'an um, in China. I was just there this fall, and I think that you know a lot of people go to Shanghai, Beijing. I'm obsessed with Beijing. So, but, you know, (laughs) Shanghai, Beijing, Hong Kong. But Xi'an is fascinating. It's, like, more inland, but then the Terracotta Warriors Museum Mm -hmm. is insane. Like, Mm. it's basically um, the same emperor who united the Great Wall also. Like, I think he built his first warrior at, like, 13 to protect him in the afterlife. Like, they're hollow inside for their spirits. And farmers discover them in the exact location where they stand now. And just really cool. And then Japan, I would say, you know, to... I think Kyoto, I think, is getting much more popular. But, like, Osaka, like, mm. checking out the seaside towns, the Sea of Japan is spectacular. Um, but, yeah, those are places I would recommend. Does Turkey Kennel as Asia? <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. It does. I It mean, does, but, yeah. Should I get out a map? I mean, we can talk about Turkey. Go for it. At Istanbul, I would say, is, like, the most Istanbul like took my breath away, honestly. Mm. And now Turkish Airlines has like a stopover program, mm.
1: and oh, they nice. fly
2: everywhere. Literally, like I was looking into flights to Nepal, and it was like Turkish Airlines flies like three times a day from all over the world. So, oh. but they do a stopover program as an Icelandair does too.
0: Yeah, which I is talked great. about Icelandair.
2: Have you done it? No, I just went straight. I just went straight to Reykjavik, which is amazing. I see it like the Blue Lagoon, okay, but I want yep. to. Yeah, me too. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Like if you have, I don't know, I think it makes a lot of sense. Say you have like a five-day trip, you know, just like carving in a night. I'm not one of those people who thinks like you need to be somewhere for a week to really, no, you can be present somewhere for three hours and get more out of it than someone would get in three days. So I think just like, you know, these opportun- opportunity to see new countries and cities is
0: important. Cool. So then what if we go to
2: um, like a Polynesian type region? Um so I'm gonna so I'm gonna talk about Kauai because it's part of the Polynesian archipelago. You know, sure. it's not poly- Polynesia. Um Kauai is like I think one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. Like comparing it to Jackson Hole, which is funny because a lot of people in Jackson Hole go to Kauai in the winter, mm. like we'll go to Kauai in like split time. It's just like gorgeous. And there's such like an interesting history. It's like the, like the island was never kind. It's like the oldest island, I believe. Oh my God. I was there <laughs> last year and I, I literally wrote a story about it really recently. But so yeah, there's Your like brain a fascinating. has taken in a lot of things. It's all right. <laughs> it has. And I'm just worried about, yeah, I want to make sure I have it all straight, but like the Nepali coast, sailing up to the Nepali coast, I really helicopters are like helicopter tours are also great, but I really recommend seeing this by boat because, I mean, only in only in Hawaii, like literally, is there a rainbow and then a humpback whale breaching in front of it. It's just like a joke. Like, how does this exist? Yeah. But going around the, you know, I was getting excited because you see these mountains coming into view, and I'm like, oh my god, like this is amazing. Everyone's like, you haven't seen anything yet. Oh. Like, sure. Then you know you cross this. I remember you turn the corner and like I saw, like, the, the Nepali, like, the mountain range, I was just, I cried. Like, I was just so moved. I was humbled. I was grateful. Like, everyone tries to be after, like, green juice and yoga. Like, I felt <laughs> that looking up the Nepali coast. So that is something I recommend. I'm going to also, I'm going to New Zealand in October. I was there, like, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited about also checking out more, like, under the radar, like, lesser known destinations there as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be hiking or heli-hiking Franz Joseph Glacier, and, I mean, it's going to be really cool. So cool. I'm excited. It was created, like, 14,000 years ago, um, and, like, the history of the Maori, of the um, Maori culture there is also super fascinating, so New Zealand, too.
0: Cool. So with, with New Zealand, are we going to cross Australia off, or you have something for us in Australia?
2: That well also, this is something I want to do and I haven't done, but Tasmania, that's okay. been on my to-do list for forever. But, I mean, I also – Australia, I mean, when I was there I was there with my family and we drove the length of the country, we did a we did a loop. And why I would argue that we spent more time in the outback than anyone needs to. Like, it was a really unique and cool experience. I mean, we were there for a while, though, so it does take time. But you do get a sense of, like, the, the vastness of the outback. And I think, I think the best way to see a country or a city or anything is really by train or car. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess – That's something where the Swiss travel pass and the Eurail. I really highly recommend people traveling in Switzerland, people traveling in Europe. It's really easy. You can plan your trips in advance. And like for the Eurail, I did um, the Czech Republic, Austria, you know, Czech Republic, Vienna. Oh my god, let me go cities: Prague, Vienna, Budapest in a week, (laughs) and it was spectacular.
0: So, so I think people get confused on how the Eurail pass goes and you know how they work. I we won't get into it. It is a little confusing. It's kind of like the spoken hub system but uh, if you want a travel professional to to work that out for you uh, just just email me i have a couple of good ones that i'll point you to that can work out the best pass for you cuz some people find that confusing so there you go but i agree yeah or else for me the british isles was a great opportunity to cruise because you can get to well except for two ports you could get some faster and to more options by sea than you could driving So, uh, but it just depends, but yeah, land and sea. I I agree. Um, so what about if we talk cold regions?
2: So I just went into, I think I, the Finnish Lapland I would say is like my biggest, Yep. like the biggest thing that I've learned (laughs) to go. Everyone should go. It is a little bit more expensive. Um, but it's totally worth it. And it's like pretty spectacular. And so you can stay really, in like a gla- like a ice igloo. Oh my God. yes! And everyone, I, it's funny, I got a lot of comments, like, you know, I post pictures like, are you cold? Like, no, the Finns have thought of everything. Like you're never cold. <laughs> and like, I, and like for people who are worried about going to a cold destination like that, where literally we landed in Helsinki, I was there for spring and they were like, oh, it's a wonderful day. It's plus three. <laughs> like, no, it's like, you know, human beings, it's crazy. We, I don't know, but they give you these insane snow suits that are not only for me, my dream is always to feel like I'm in a large sleeping bag. So I felt yes. extremely <laughs> like I was living my best life the whole time, but they keep you warm and you can rent them. And it's, I packed so much for this trip, like, and I really didn't need to cause I was in my snow suit all day, every day, but, awesome. um, I would definitely say the La- Lapland and I was there in the winter time. Um, but the best time to see the Northern Lights I was told actually is in the fall because, When it's snowing, you can't see the lights, Mm. but they have these amazing, I stayed at like the Northern Lights Ranch in Levy, um, which was spectacular. Like the, there was like, I felt like I was waking up in like, I don't know. It was glass. It wasn't an igloo, but it was like pretty much like a glass cube. Like Mm -hmm. I was in a glass dome essentially a little bit but it was shaped like a box. Wow. I am not great at writing about architecture, even though. Did it you have an article in architecture? Yes. Yeah. I know, but it can be, I don't know. I'm sorry. And then YLLAS is like more remote, but it's like, that was like also amazing. And we stayed at L 7 Yes. L7, which is like this really cool lodge. And like the owner, the owners were amazing. And Rovaniemi, is, like, more of, like, the town Mm -hmm. in in Lapland, and it's where Santa Claus lives, and, like, there we sit at the Arctic Light Hotel, Mm. um, Arctic Lights Hotel, pretty much all the, I was blown away by, like, the accommodations available, like, just the, it was just, everything was just so beautiful, but also, like, the way that, you know, it played off the natural surroundings, like, it's, it's, like... Very, I can't, I can never pronounce this word, H-Y-G-G-E, even though I think it's like a Scandinavian term and not finished, like hygge, like that term for coziness and like happiness or mm. joy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like totally, totally feel that there. And yeah, it's definitely a place that a lot of Americans haven't fully, haven't really been yet. So Neat. cool. Those are good recommendations. So
0: here's a question for you. Do you think that you are an introvert or an extrovert? Because you are talkative. However, you get onto these, um, when you talk about the expanse and the openness is when you really open up. And so I think that maybe my guess is you might be an, I don't know, an introvert that's
2: charged by nature,
0: recharged by nature.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I love nature. Um, yeah, I do. I get like very romantic about it all. Um, I don't know. It's funny because like I do at the end of the day though, like I just love people. Like for me, for me like the best thing is always the people wherever mm-hmm. I am. But then yeah, if I can have like a good a great squad around me in like the middle of the woods, I'm happy. Yeah. I guess, but um, I don't know because my job now is so I'm either with a million people every day traveling or like I'm alone writing. Yeah. So I think I'm maybe a mix of both. I do think I get energy from being around people though too, but Mm. I definitely have like an introverted love of like, you know, solitude in nature.
0: Yeah. That's cool. You're interesting. That's awesome. All right. Well, Catherine, um, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, end our thing without giving you an opportunity Mm -hmm. to tell people how to find you? How can people find you online?
2: Cool. So, um, my website, which, um, I share, I like upload all my stories to is com, And I'm on Instagram at Katherine Parker Magyar, and I share all my photos from my trips, and Twitter at KPM1231, because my name is too long for a username there.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm going to put, I will build you a guest profile, and they will be able to get all of those links from your little face up in the top of the po- right of the podcast. They can just click on you and get to all of your information that way also. Okay. Perfect. Well, is there Thank anything you. else I've missed or that you want to include before we close out the podcast?
2: Everyone should go to Dominica and Kenya. (laughs) Kenya and Dominica. I realize I never, Kenya is my favorite country I visited, and I hate playing favorites. Kenya was the best trip I've ever done, though. Uh And Dominica, actually. But Dominica, like, I did not even know it was a country, which sounds so dumb. But I really didn't until I was researching a story on unknown Caribbean nations, and Mm. I learned more about it. It's called the Nature Isle. It's spectacular. They mm-hmm. have a year-round... I love, I love like, the ocean and whales. I, I'm a dweeb about whales as well as open <laughs> spaces, apparently, but, you know, they have a sperm whale population that lives there year-round, and when I was there in March, wow, well, no, in January, it was me, my captain, Jerry Dawa, who's worked with the Animal Planet BBC Everything, mm-hmm. and just... National Geographic out there And whales everywhere Cool And we hiked I did this hike to the Boiling Lake Which is like called Like one of the most like You know challenging hikes In the Caribbean One of the most beautiful too mm-hmm. It's like Yellowstone In the interior Like there cool. was like There were geysers
1: wow. And then there's
2: a Boiling Lake It's the second biggest Boiling Lake in the world Aside from New Zealand
1: hmm. Like
2: the, the topography Of the It looks like a mixture Between like New Zealand Kauai And Yellowstone Which hmm. sounds insane But And people are so nice Go there and Kenya is actually cheaper. I want to say this: of all the trips I've been on, like Kenya safari was literally like my dream, and I just always had wanted to go to Kenya. Just something specific to that country. And I think I think when you do have like a goal or a bucket list like that, like go for it. So almost, I almost feel like your intuition is telling you that you'll love something. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was spectacular, and I thought that like in order to go. I didn't foresee becoming a travel writer; it was a happy coincidence. But I said I have to like literally be on my honeymoon because I thought, you know, this is such an expensive undertaking. It's really not; it's really yeah. affordable. But then I see that like Fairmont properties and which were spectacular, like in Nairobi, and then Yuki and the Maasai Mara, and just like it was less expensive than Finland and Switzerland, you know. And I know that I know that Africa, a trip to like. East Africa is like on a lot of people's bucket list and what I would say is like look into it, look into the cost and go because it's really it's accessible.
0: It is. We'll talk sometime about that. I did a semester at uh Daystar University in uh in Athe River there and they have another campus in Nairobi. So I know Kenya well, I used to know Kenya pretty
2: well. It's been a while, but I want to take uh, the It's amazing. Yeah. I literally had the best experience of my life there. I really did.
0: All right. Well, maybe that's a separate episode. We'll talk soon about that. All right. Yes. Yes. Thank well, you. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And um yeah, for this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying good night.